welcome to the Ask LFC podcast. Good to see you all. This is the first uh, solo Mike Moses version. This is Mike Moses, uh, lead pastor at Lake Forest Church, uh, particularly Lake Forest Church, Huntersville. Good to see you today. This is our first week with Harrison Gilming, our worship leader and my co-host, being on a well-earned, well-deserved sabbatical after eight years of employment here. So great to see you today. I want to talk about why we're in a denomination as a church, how I was led to our denomination, what attracted me to it when I decided I needed to be a part of a church that was in a denomination, and that's why Lake Forest is in our denomination. So I want to talk about that just for a few minutes today. Um, but first, we'll just recap what a great time it was to worship out on the lawn Sunday. Uh, I, a number of you came up to me and said, this is my first time back in person. Thank you for giving us this offering today. It, it, it felt comfortable to us and, and a good first step back in person. And then a lot of you have been here every week. Uh, it was just great to worship in person. Um, and I was proud of, and I want to thank our video and audio team in particular. They, were, they did a lot of extra work particularly Dustin Harward, our technical staff leader, and he leads a team of very dedicated ministry partners. They just went over and above, setting up the stage, renting the sound equipment, dialing it in. Thank you, Rob Conrad and Tim Dennis for dialing in the sound for this event. Um, it, it was outstanding, and the band and the videographers and the audio engineers, everyone, you just did a great job. We actually decided, you remember at Easter we worshiped outdoors and we produced a wholly separate high quality online worship experience for people who couldn't be there in person. Uh, and that, that was important for us to do and I think that was the right thing to do. This time we decided, we were like, let's, let's just sort of low level video what we're doing live outside. We'd like for there to be a little bit of FOMO for people who are, are medically already comfortable coming back in person, but are just getting, getting over the hump of getting out of the routine of being so chill on a Sunday morning and not actually coming in person. Those are the folks that we really want to uh, encourage to come back in person. We think it's important to worship in person when it, as it's medically safe for you to do so and you're comfortable. We also know that there are a lot of you who worship with us from around the country. There are some people in other parts of the world, and so I'm never talking to you about, hey, come on back in person. We love that you worship with us and dial into Lake Forest and consider us your church family. I hope you can find a, a local church where you can be personal with people, but until that time, we love it that you're with us. Um, but they just... We were kind of content with that being low level. It's just throw a camera out there. But they ended up doing it in a way that was actually pretty high quality. And um, I, I, we just have great folks, ministry partners with real talent handling these things. Um, you, you may or may not be aware. The closer you live to this building, the more you may be aware that this time around, our sound system had a little bit more oomph to it. And we started our sound check a little earlier and the wind was blowing very steadily and powerfully in the direction of a couple of big neighborhoods nearby, and we disturbed a lot of people unintentionally. That was, that was our bad. Uh, there was a little bit of a kerfluffle on the Facebook pages of one neighborhood in particular. 
Uh, and so uh, that got a little interesting, a little out of hand on a couple of Facebook comments, but as soon as we became aware of all this, we uh, our communications folks po- posted a very sincere apology to local neighborhoods. We, we, we had done this at Easter and no one seemed disturbed, so we just did not know it would disturb you and we apologize for that. That's basically what we said. And, uh, and then I posted personally later in the day. So just for you to know that, uh, we had planned on probably doing a midsummer outdoor worship Sunday morning. I think we will not do that. We won't do that for some time now. Uh, we just need to be respectful of our neighbors. And now that we can worship inside with less restrictions, that's great. By the way, speaking of that, uh, uh, this midweek, this week, we will be sending out um, our new COVID-19 guidelines for Sunday morning worship for adults and children. So watch for that coming. So how come Lake Forest presents itself? And when people visit, they're like, oh, you're... Like on the golf course, what kind of church are you? And really, they kind of unchurched people, particularly or barely churched. They, oh, you're you're like a non-denominational church. When I describe our vibe here, and it's interesting, non-denominational has come to be a almost a, a positive for you English majors, and a positive is a word that is used in writing to stand in for another word. And so non-denominational has almost become an appositive for a modern worshiping church like ours. Meaning the experience is technologically and musically hyper-modern. Um, and yet we're not non-denominational. I, I just think that's interesting. I think it's unfortunate for reasons that I will tell you. Churches being non-denominational or Independent would be the other word. In other words, not connected to one larger group of churches that hold one another accountable for right doctrine and right behavior in leadership. Uh, Churches that are non-denominational and are only accountable unto themselves, either just the pastor, him or herself, or whatever governing body they set up internally, is a, a, an incredibly recent, innovative practice relative to 2,000 years of church history. And you could say, going back before that, uh, 1,500 years of the Jewish tradition, which we own as our own, and we're grateful for them. Um, so it's, it's incredibly historically innovationist. It's uniquely American, although that's spreading elsewhere. Uh, my my words that I often say privately is that my sense is that independent or non-denominational churches are the final church polity heretical flowering of the independent streak expressed in the Protestant Reformation. Protestant Reformation in the 1500s was important theologically, biblically, and Holy Spirit-led fruitful in terms of a rediscovery of many things about the gospel and the scriptures being gifted to every believer instead of just held tightly within the clergy. It led to the Roman Catholic Church reforming itself in, in a number of really helpful, fruitful ways. 
But but the the Protestant Reformation occurred at the same time as the Enlightenment period of Western history, which was a full flowering of humanistic individualism. Many things were good about that. Uh, a greater and greater emphasis on the dignity of every human being, both theologically in the church and ideologically in public culture, public policy, etc. Um, however, America, as we all know, is, is like the is the grand experiment of how far can you go with individualism and don't tread on me and I am an island and I will pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I don't need anybody and spiritually uh, hey it's Jesus in me I don't need other people and uh, so it's my thesis should I go back for another doctorate this could be one of <laughs> an interesting dissertation in what way is independent church a a uh, the final, uh, most indulgent flowering of the worst tendencies in the Protestant Reformation away from a, a submission to the authority of a church and into, I am my own authority, it's just me and Jesus. That's my own thesis. Many of my best friends are pastors of independent or non-denominational churches, and so I say that to their face, and I'm like, hey, I love you. I love your church. And I know you didn't get into leading an independent church out of some ungodly attitude. It's just a movement that I think is unhealthy and I, and I hope dies off in that regard. So how did I get into this denomination that we're a part of, and why is Lake Forest a part of that denomination, and why... Should you feel good about that? Um, so let me tell the story a little bit. Um, I, I grew initially in youth group in my faith and was mentored and discipled by my youth pastor and three different young men who were volunteer youth leaders and business people. They all discipled the heck out of me in an independent Bible church in Greensboro, North Carolina. Westover Church, which is a wonderful church. I am grateful for that church and all that it gave me. But it was an independent Bible church and so I just accepted that. Okay, that's the norm. Uh, I went to college and I went to an independent Bible church there in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, uh, Williamsburg Community Chapel. It's still there. It's, it's Both of those churches were small when I attended them. The chapel in Williamsburg, met in a school gymnasium. Both of them are now mega churches. Interesting. I find that interesting because then later the church I went on staff at out of seminary, the first time I worked at a church, was a small church meeting in a gym. And today is is a is a mega church. It's the largest Presbyterian church in the United States of America. That's Hope Church in Memphis, Tennessee, in the suburb of Cordova. I love those people, and they are part of our our denomination. Um, but I went to college and I was most I was part of an independent church and and then I was part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, a parachurch organization. Out of college, I went on staff with a parachurch organization, Young Life. Uh, we felt like we were like the the front line, uh, uh, like Army Rangers or Navy Seals in the in the Kingdom of God. 
we were serving unchurched teenagers in local high schools. And I attended, I went back to the same church I'd been part of, which was an independent church, because that was in Greensboro. Then I went to seminary. Uh, and the reason I went to seminary was not to get a piece of paper so I could check a box. Uh, I realized after three years in ministry out of college, if, if, if my giftedness is teaching the Bible, and at that point in time I thought of my main giftedness as sitting with people one-on-one and in small groups and studying the Bible together for life change. That was my entire ambition. That's what I thought my main gift was was one-on-one and in small groups. That was my only and highest ambition, honestly, in how to influence people. Um, but I went to seminary because I thought, if I'm going to teach the Bible the rest of my life, I want to have the best tools possible for that. Uh, I couldn't have said it this way at the time, but this is one of the reasons why later, looking back, I realized, oh, that's why I resonated with Presbyterianism, because I, I, I intuitively formed a high value of a well-educated clergy or a well-educated uh, persons who exercise the teaching gift in any ministry, uh, whether it's the church or not. And I thought I would come back out of seminary and go back on Young Life staff. But I wanted to study the Bible in its original languages. I wanted to be taught the history of interpretation of the Bible, how that's gone wrong in the past so I can avoid that, how it's what are the best traditions of it so I can lean into that, etc. That's why I went to seminary. And I loved it. I couldn't believe it. What? For three years, I am full-time dedicated to studying the things of God, the Word of God, methods of ministry, healthy models of ministry, how to avoid unhealthy ministry. Oh my, Angie and I just lived into it. It's also when I knew uh, all over again does this woman love me? Yes, she does. Because I would go off to study the Bible all day in grad school while she would get in our one little little tiny Honda car, old and beat up, and fight traffic in Los Angeles for an hour each way to go to a job that she wasn't fired up about to earn money to support us uh, so that we could live and eat and have a roof over our heads while I went to grad school. Uh, forever grateful for her for that specifically, especially the times she would drop me off at the golf course. My little trifling grad school student behind was going golfing for the day, and then she would fight traffic for an hour, go to a job she didn't adore uh, to support us during that time. She's an awesome woman <laughs> for so many reasons, but that's just one of them. So I love seminary, and here's two things that happened to me. Well, I studied the Bible like in great detail under world-leading scholars and studied theology, the, the, the system of how we understand, uh, we put together the teachings of the Bible in a coherent way. I came to two realizations. The first one was this. Oh my goodness. Studying the New Testament particularly the book of Acts and the epistles after Jesus. Oh my gosh, the church is the apple of God's eye and the locus of God's mission in this world, in this period of history, until Jesus returns. Not that parachurch is wrong, or parachurch is awesome, but the church is the game. 
man, I want to be about God's highest affection and what he says is where his mission should be accomplished through. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to work for a church. Oh, oh my gosh, that means I'm going to have to be a pastor. That's what I thought always was like the most sellout thing to do in ministry. Be a pastor in a church. I'm not lying to you. That is what I actually thought. I had the words that come out of my mouth. I would never be a pastor of a church. That's a lame sellout thing to do. I'm going to be a guy walking the streets talking to people about Jesus. So <laughs> I came to that realization. Dad, come it. I'm going to have to be a pastor in a church. And then another realization hit me as I deeply studied the New Testament. Oh my gosh, the New Testament church is very clearly practicing a form of connectionalism. Clearly, in the book of Acts, starting with the Jerusalem Council, and then the, the presumptions. If you just look at the assumptions Paul is making while he writes all of the epistles to the churches that are in our New Testament, the New Testament church was vitally connected and mutually submitted to one another for right belief and right behavior. And you see it most clearly indicated at the Council of Jerusalem in the book of Acts, where a declaration, an authoritative decision is made for all Christian churches, in the Jewish churches and the Gentile ones, about belief, what is the gospel, and about behavior. What is essential, correct behavior for leadership and membership in Christian churches and what is not allowable? When I came to this realization, I was like, oh no! Not only am I going to have to be a pastor of a church, which feels lame, I'm going to have to wear a suit, I'm going to have to be part of a church a pastor of a church that's in a denomination because that's the form of connectionalism today. Churches that say, oh, we go to this conference annually and that's our affiliation, that's not connectionalism. That's not biblical connectionalism. There's no one holding them accountable to stay true to historic Orthodox Christian doctrine, which in our denomination is most clearly expressed as the essentials of faith, and they're on our website. And to join our church, you have to assent to these basic essentials of the faith. Um, so, <laughs> really, you guys, I'm telling you, this was a moment of submission for me. This is not something I wanted. It's not something I was eagerly asking for. But it's an example of perhaps there's a time when you you began to study God's Word more deeply than ever before in your life, and something came clear that is true about God's will for your life, morally, or providentially, or relationally, uh, or belief-wise, maybe about human sexuality. And you're like, I don't want to believe that. I don't want to practice that. But you actually admitted to yourself in the Holy Spirit, but this is what God says, and it's different from what I have held in the past, and I will submit to God's way as the best way. This is an example of me doing this in my life, and Angie as well. We we equal partners in everything, including this. 
So, <laughs> here's what Angie and I did, okay? So, it's getting to the end of my third year in seminary, and I have to look for a J-O-B. And I'm excited about that, because at that point, I was done with seminary. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to actually be with real people in their real lives again, uh, instead of study mode and learning and discovery mode, which is beautiful. So, here's what, no lie, here's what Angie and I did. Okay, Lord, we prayed. We had an actual prayer. And we said, Lord Jesus, um, we're now looking for a pastoral job. We pray that you would lead us to the right job for us that is in a church. That's checking box one. That's part of a denomination, checking box two. That is somewhere east of the Mississippi. That was our third box to check. And then here, here's what we generally prayed. That's in a denomination that is broadly evangelical, or I prefer the term today, historically orthodox in Christian doctrine, without being still caught up in a bunch of intramural fights about fundamentalist disputes, about to dance or not dance, to drink or not drink, to dunk or sprinkle, to blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't want to be in a denomination that's all caught up with Christians fighting Christians. Blech. There's too many people who don't know the love of Jesus, and we, we don't have enough time to joust with other believers over non-essential matters. So, Lord, a denomination that's like that, that's also broadly reformed in its theology. Here's another thing that happened to me in seminary. I went to seminary completely unformed theologically. At the end of it, I realized... I found a word for what I saw as the overarching best understanding of biblical theology, and that is Reformed or Presbyterian. And, and I'm not going to get off on that rabbit trail because this story is taking a while. Uh, but, but the big E on the I chart of that is that in the end, is in the question of how do you make sense of man's free will as evidence in Scripture, when Joshua tells Israel in Joshua chapter 1, choose this day whom you will serve, and it's clear you will be responsible for that choice. <clears throat> and when Jesus says numerous times, make the choice to follow me or not, and you'll be held accountable for that. How do we reconcile that clear biblical teaching of human free will and responsibility with also the clear teaching of the sovereignty of an almighty God who prophets say knows the end from the beginning and foreknows everything and foreordains and predestines. Those are biblical words. You see, you can't like say, no, I don't believe in that because they're in the Bible. Um, if you're a biblical Christian, you can't say that, uh, which is where I start every conversation with my Baptist pastor friends about this issue. So how do you reconcile those two things? Uh, as Jesus also said, all of those whom my Father has elected, he will bring them to me. Well, uh, my brilliant, <laughs> folksy, illogical solution myself is that free will, human free will, and divine predestination and sovereignty are like parallel train tracks that never meet. They're parallel lines that never meet except in 
the person of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, somehow they do meet while remaining parallel. That's the best I can make of it. I have nothing more to say. But Reformed theology, if I can boil it down, also believes that and in the end, God will have what God will have. God is God. God is sovereign. God is almighty. God has foreordained. He has predestined and elected. And God will have what God will have. And our human free will will not frustrate any plan, however small, of our sovereign God. And so, yes, human free will and divine sovereignty are a both and. But God is sovereign in the end. Uh, so I have come to that theological understanding uh, and overlay of all of the Bible. And so we also pray, God, would you lead us to a church that's not only historically orthodox in their doctrine, but that is broadly reformed. I'm not, I don't want to teach reformed theology in my sermons. I want it to inform my teaching of the Bible. We, I don't want to be a part of a church that jumps up and down all the time about Presbyterianism is the bomb. All the rest of y'all suck. What's wrong with you? Methodists, Baptists, especially Catholics. Uh, that's gross and disgusting and is something that my generation of Christians and Protestantism, Gen Xers, we've pretty much thrown that evil baby out uh, of sectarianism and hating on other denominations without throwing out the bathwater of, of valuing our own denominational distinctives. I played golf over the weekend with the pastors of three notable churches in South Charlotte. One of the lead pastors of Forest Hill Church, the lead pastor of Church at Charlotte, which is now called uh, New City Church, and the lead pastor of Carmel Baptist. And we just were celebrating what's happened in our, in our generation, that uh, there's an emphasis of unity in the essentials of Christian faith across denominations in our experience, in our generation, as opposed to throwing rocks at each other about the, the small differences in different streams of Christianity. That was pretty cool. So, okay, this is a long explanation of me and Angie's prayer before I went to look for a job. But we asked for that. A, a broadly reformed, historically orthodox Christian denomination that's not fundamentalist and that has an evangelistic heart. Amen. Okay, the next day, it could have been the next week, I need to go home and ask Angie after we prayed that prayer. I went to the jobs office at my seminary in Los Angeles for the first time. And there was only one job posted for a church that checked the box of my prayer east of the Mississippi. So I pulled that down. I was like, huh. Oh, oh the other part of the prayer was, Lord, we pray to be a pastor job where I could do youth ministry because I already know how to do that. And other responsibilities that I could grow into that I haven't done before. So we pulled this one job down. It was east of the Mississippi, although only by seven miles. <laughs> it was in suburban Memphis, Tennessee, but I'm like, okay, that fits my prayer. I didn't mean, I really meant North Carolina, but okay. <laughs> um, I'll be more specific next time, Lord. And it was a youth pastor job to start a middle school youth group and pastor their high school youth group and also be the spiritual growth pastor 
for children's ministry and adults and small groups. And it was a three-year-old church plant meeting in a school that was uh, a couple hundred people at the time uh, with a heart, an expressed heart for evangelism. I'm like, oh my gosh, that checks a whole lot of boxes. And a new church is not going to have a lot of the hang-ups that scare me about working for a church. And then it said it's a part of this denomination called the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Like, never heard of that. Heard of Presbyterian. So I pulled out the brochure on that denomination. And on the front cover was their motto, quoting maybe St. Augustine. Nobody's sure who wrote this statement first. It's, it's attributed to a lot of people. But, and on the front cover of the brochure was, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Y'all, my heart skipped a beat. I'm serious. I, all of a sudden, I was like, what? Could there be a denomination that I could actually get excited about? Because that motto... I'm not smart enough to have written that or deep enough to formulate it that way. My heart leaps out at that motto for the Christian faith. So I opened the brochure and it described, yes, we're Presbyterian, we're Reformed, but this motto is our ethos. Uh, and it had the seven essentials of the faith, which honestly, any of the guys I played golf with this weekend, those lead pastors, Pastor Farrell at Grace Covenant Church, which is Foursquare here in town. Uh, really, all of my pastor friends, the seven essentials of the faith for the EPC and for Lake Forest Church and to become a ministry partner here, and my Roman Catholic friends would all affirm those seven essentials. They're, they are the, they're the essentials of the Christian faith. They're beautiful, beautifully written if you're a believer in Christ. And so I was like, I'm interviewing for that job. And Angie, I came home, I was like, Angie, look, check this out. Look at this denomination and this job. And we were like, but Memphis, uh, where is that? And <laughs> we would never live there. Never even heard, really heard anything about Memphis. And by the way, the book and the movie The Firm had just come out. And there's a funny scene in it when Tom Cruise, the lead character, when he gets a job offer, he's at, I, I think he's at an Ivy League maybe, law school and he gets a job offer from Memphis and he and his wife, I forget who that actress was, look at each other at each other questioning questioningly and go, Memphis? So Angie and I did that repeatedly. <laughs> Joking. Um, so I set up an interview. It said the senior pastor would be in town for to interview prospective candidates uh, like in three weeks. Uh, and I, I put on a suit I might have even had to borrow it. I don't know. I guess I had a suit. I was like, I mean, it's a church. I need to put on my shiny shoes, all that stuff. And I walked in, and there's this guy sitting there in flip-flops, a surf t-shirt, and a bathing suit. And he immediately makes fun of me for being in a suit. <laughs> this was Craig Strickland, a great mentor of my life, a master at church planting, a man of God, a skilled church leader who oversaw the growth of the largest Presbyterian church in America, but was a church planner at that time, two years into it, 200 people in a school. And 
what I learned immediately was that Craig and his church planning buddy, Eli Morris, had both come off of Young Life staff to plant this church. I was like, what? I already fell in love with this denomination. If I'm going to have to be in a denomination, that's a good one. Although there are others I could go to, friends, and I, I, I could talk about that another time. There are two or three that would be very easy for me to fit into quickly. Um, and, and the two pastors were Young Life guys, and their whole motivation is to reach unchurched people, and, and they play modern music. Oh my, did I pray this denomination and church into existence a week ago with my wife Angie? I mean, I really came home and told Angie. <laughs> so we went for an interview, and, it was, and, and just like, okay, the interview will help us discern our calling. We're not going to go to Memphis, but... And as we interviewed over the weekend, uh, our sense that the Holy Spirit was making this a reality for us uh, became more and more clear. They called us to the job, although it hurt my feelings later, because Craig and Eli were kind of like this. I was like their little brother, and they made fun of me all the time. They would pull jokes on me. Um, <laughs> like for the whole five years I was there. Uh, that's another story. Those guys crack me up to this day. We're still friends. Um, uh, why was I saying that? Anyway, that is where Angie and I learned what the body of Christ is in the church. I had never been a member of a church as an adult. That church loved us. We learned what it is to be the bride of Christ together. We also saw a Holy Spirit bomb explosion go off, and that church grew like mad, and I had to start a million new ministries to keep up, and that's how I learned I was a, a ministry starter, which is raw material for a church planter to start ministry from scratch. Um, that's how I came into the EPC, and you know what? There was one thing that I had to submit to. This is one reason it's good to be part of a denomination and a church. Some Christians are like, I can't be part of a church. There's no church where I agree 100% with all of their doctrine and their practices. <laughs> I don't even agree with myself 100% on any given moment of all that I believe about doctrine and practice. Um, and this is something I respect immensely about the Roman Catholic Church and Roman Catholic believers. There's not a one of them that you know who agrees with every jot and tittle Catholic doctrine, maybe even a lot of it. But out of respect for Christ, in submission, as a, uh, let me say it this way, as a symbol of submission to Christ, whom they cannot see, they submit to the Church of Christ in, through Roman Catholicism that they can't see and, and, and are submissive even in areas in which they disagree. And for me, initially, that was the practice of infant baptism in the Presbyterian Church. I, I didn't, I'd never heard of that. It was taught to me as a matter of fact that's unbiblical. It's merely traditional. And so I loved, because I loved Hope Church, and was called to partner with those guys in an incredible work of God. And God did mostly a work in my life there. And because I loved, I, I, I believed in the biblical principle of connectionalism and I had to be part of some denomination, I knew there would be something I would have to choose. I will submit my preference. That's a word Terrell Huntley is gifting to our family and churches. I will submit my preference 
in submission to Christ to this body of believers and their denomination and started off that way in, in baptism. Infant baptism. Over time, I've come to treasure covenant baptism in God's word and as a practice in my own family. Pastor Craig baptized my sons on the, the Sunday we had Christmas Day worship where Christmas fell on a Sunday. My parents came in town and Craig beautifully baptized Dylan and Austin. I'm forever grateful and they know him as Pastor Craig. We pull out, pulled out the pictures they were growing up, different years. Um, so I've come to treasure infant baptism, even though we don't hold that as an essential at Lake Forest. We will always practice it, but families have the choice of choosing infant baptism, covenant baptism in their home, or waiting and giving their kids the option for believer's baptism later. And that's an issue for another time. So you may differ with Lake Forest on the fact that we have women in leadership. We That's a non-essential issue. You may differ with Lake Forest that uh, over infant baptism, or that we allow covenant bat, uh, believer baptism. You may differ with Lake Forest on our stance on human sexuality, on uh, several things. Hey, I'm proud of you for submitting to membership in a local church, which is a biblical practice, and which is a member of a denomination out of submission to Christ, even though you disagree on non-essentials, but you agree on the essentials. Well done. That's what we model. Uh, that's what I try to model as a church. Our elders model that. Uh, our elders have differing opinions on views on non-essential matters, the things that I just mentioned, all of them. We have differences among our elders, and yet they are unified around the essentials and our mission, vision, and values, and that's a beautiful thing. That's how me and Lake Forest came to be part of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church as our denomination. Our church uh, back in maybe the year 2012 was recognized by the denomination with its highest annual award, which is the Bart Hess Award. It honors a guy who was one of the founders of, a, of the EPC. And we were given the award for church uh, growth and vitality that year because of our not only are reaching an increasing number of people here, including unchurched people as part of our vibe, but also our, our outgrowth in global mission, local mission, and in being a church planting church. We were recognized by the denomination as being a, a pace setter, and then they, they continued that by asking me to be the president of the denomination. In Presbyterian language, that's called moderator, but I was the president of the denomination for uh, 2016 to 18. Basically, they just wanted my face, but more importantly, your face, the face of our church, at the head of the denomination visibly for several years, modeling being a church planning church that gives away, modeling being a church that has a heart for the unchurched and that contextualizes the biblical truth and the gospel to the vernacular today, technologically, musically, and in spoken word, etc., so our denomination is proud of the church that you all have become and, um, uh, and has recognized us in various ways. Thank you for letting me tell you that story. That's been story time with Pastor Mike. Uh, and you can now go to sleep uh, after your cup of chamomile tea um, from that comforting origin story. Hey, good to be with you on the Ask LFC podcast today. I love you all. I hope to see you soon on a Sunday. 
For those of you who worship with us and listen from a distance, every now and then let us know you're here, how we can serve you, uh, where you are, and if I can help you find a local church near you. Uh, Take care, friends. 